Imagine with me, you're driving down the road and you're running a little bit late. And so even though you know maybe you shouldn't do it, you put down the gas pedal a little bit too much and you start going a little bit above the speed limit, maybe five miles an hour, seven miles an hour, 10 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden you see some flashing lights behind you and you realize, oh, bummer. And so you pull over and uh, you see an officer walk up and uh, he yanks open your door and grabs you from the car and throws you on the floor and throws you in handcuffs. You get hauled off to prison and uh, you end up appearing before a court and they say that uh, because of that 10 miles an hour, you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison. Uh, Take that. Um, Would you be happy? (laughs) Probably not. You think that's a little bit excessive, you know, give me my ticket, I'll pay it. Um, We have uh, expectations of our legal system. We have expectations in life that, yeah, even if I did something wrong, the punishment that I receive should in some way match the crime, you know, that that I've committed. Um, You know, maybe if I go and do a bunch of horrible things and kill people or something, yeah, then life in prison opens up the door to that. But for a minor offense, it should be a relatively minor punishment, right? Well, there's a principle uh, there, and it's in a lot of court systems throughout the world called lex talionis. It's, it's the idea that the punishment you receive should in some ways match or be equal to uh, the offense that was committed. And we kind of expect this in life as just a, a natural law that seems to make sense to most people. Um, in the Bible, there's an expression for this. An eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. Sometimes people hear that and they think, oh, great, I get justification. You bruised my eye, now get over here, I get to, I get to bruise yours. Or uh, you knocked out my tooth, I get to knock out yours. But I don't think that's really the, the point of the, the law as much as it is to say, if someone bruises your eye or knocks out your tooth, um, your response should not be greater than that. Meaning it, it's a rejection of escalation. We have a tendency to want to escalate things, meaning you give me a black eye, okay, <laughs> you've opened up the door. Now you get two black eyes, a chipped tooth, and a cracked rib to, so that you learn a lesson, never to, a, to go about giving someone a black eye again. And we think that that will teach a valuable lesson, and that way, you know, they'll, they'll learn and they won't do it again. What actually will tend to happen, though, is that person who got beat up badly, then he's going to respond and want to take things even farther with you, and that escalates things further. And then you're going to get some friends, and you're going to go and escalate things further. And then it grows, and it grows, and it grows over time to the point where now when you look around the world, we have the ability to escalate things in ways that nobody has ever imagined before, like countries and artillery and weapons and bombs. And, like, we have ways of of inflicting fear and pain and violence on people that go far beyond what anyone a hundred or two hundred or a thousand years ago could have even imagined possible. Why? Because we still believe the myth that the way to stop someone from doing evil is to do more evil to them. And what Jesus says is, no, no. Uh, escalation will not help anything at all. And, and so you think, okay, so we're back to lex talionis, an eye for an eye. Uh, if you've ever been like at a church camp, uh, you, you'll see there, there are times that, uh, you know, one cabin 
might go over and prank another cabin, uh, you know, whether it's get some of their dirty clothes and throw them on the floor or something. And then what happens is that other cabin wants to respond, and they go out there and they take the mattresses and they throw them out of the cabin. But, like, things escalate. Lex Talionis says, no, we're not going to escalate things. An eye for an eye. So whatever the offense committed was, the response to it should be equal and proportioned and measured and reasonable. Okay, so that's good. Uh, Jesus, however is going to take things even further than that. And he's not only going to reject escalation, he's going to reject even an eye for an eye. He's going to reject the idea of retaliation at all. And that's where the teaching of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 gets really radical and really uncomfortable. Uh, Jesus is going to say, I not only want you to have equal and measured responses, I want you to give up retaliation as a whole. Because Jesus is trying to show the world something through his kingdom that they don't see anywhere else. Um, If you look at Matthew chapter 5 and verse 38... I'm going to read verses 38 through 42, and then we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit. But verses 38 through 42 says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, that means don't take your revenge beyond the, the offense you received, right? You try, try to keep things measured. Don't lose control. Don't let rage dictate how you respond to other people. Uh, teach a valuable lesson, but make things equal. Jesus says in verse 39, But I say to you, Do not resist the evil person. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you for your shirt, let him have your coat also. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Give to him who asks of you, and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. Now, uh, this section right here. We're going to talk about it this morning. Next week, we'll talk about the next couple of verses where Jesus talks about loving your enemy. But I'm going to say right now, it is very hard to understand this section without also having a good understanding of the next section. Because if you see the person who wrongs you as your enemy to be hated— then it's going to be really, really hard to respond in the way Jesus is telling you. But if you see them as a person to be loved, you begin to understand the logic of what Jesus is trying to bring about in his kingdom. But if you read that, I don't know, if you're anything like me, my initial thought is, but that would lead to chaos. Like, imagine if every time someone slaps you, you just turn and let them do it again. They're gonna, then all of a sudden what's going to happen is the oppressors will go way up here on top and the oppressed will go even further down because no one's able to stand up for themselves. And it seems like this is a recipe for disaster. What we should do in response is you try to keep things an eye for an eye. You know, try to keep things equal and that way people, there will be checks and balances and people won't just be able to oppress without uh, restraint, right? Well, that's one way to think about it. But I think Jesus knows something about humanity that uh, we, we don't always tend to know. Something, it's something I don't think we, we often believe. Uh, like I said earlier, we tend to believe the myth that if someone wrongs you, the way to stop them is to wrong them back. What hopefully we can learn if we look throughout world history and if we even look in our own lives is that generally doesn't solve the problem. We think it will. We hope it will. But generally what happens is that just pushes things to the next level and then they respond as well. And what Jesus is calling us to do is don't take evil and add more evil and think that's going to solve it. Rather, if you receive evil, 
let it die with you. And if something is going to, to grow from that, let it be a demonstration of the goodness and the love of God. Maybe that will have a greater effect than just turning around and showing more evil back into the world. Because even lex talionis, even an eye for an eye, we're, we're pretty bad at that. Even when we think our responses are measured and accurate, uh, we're too emotional of a people to respond with a perfectly measured response. There's an interesting study that was done years ago. It's called Two Eyes for an Eye, the Neuroscience of Force Escalation. Uh, and uh, some researchers got together and they got 10, uh, 12 participants and they broke them up into, into pairs. So there were six different groups. And uh, they did something that was interesting. They uh, had one person who had a lever on one hand, and on the other hand, their finger was inserted into like a, a little mold thing. And the harder you push the lever, the more force would uh, be put on the finger. But they put this person's level, uh, lever attached to the other person's mold, and that person had a lever attached to this person's mold. So basically, here's what you do. You push the lever, and it puts pressure on their finger. And here's what they were told to do without the other person knowing. Whenever you feel the f uh, pressure applied to your finger, you give them the exact same amount of pressure back. And let's see if you can maintain the exact same amount of force, an eye for an eye. Uh, whatever I receive, I'll give back to you. They did this with different groups, and they did it a number of times. And what they suddenly learned was that in all cases, forces escalated rapidly. Here's what it means, is every time you felt that, you thought, oh, well, they must have done it this hard, and then you push it pretty hard, and then they go, oh, that was harder than I did it, and so they, they're trying to match that, and they push it even harder, and you think, they did it harder, I'm supposed to match that, and so you push it harder, and then every time, they said on average, 38% increase in pressure with each turn, and so that means it got out of hand pretty quickly, and it did this as an average among all groups, every group increased. The, the point is, and I, and, I, and I think this is just rational if you think about it for a second, we tend to feel the pain we receive a lot more intensely than we feel the pain we give. If we give someone else pain, we might know that that has happened, but we tend to view that as a lesser pain than the pain we receive. And so if I receive a certain amount of pain and then I try to pay back an equal proportion, I'm going to pay back more than I received. So that's, that's what happens even when you're trying to do an eye for an eye. And the fact is, most people aren't trying to do an eye for an eye. Most people are trying to do an eye for an eye and then some to teach a valuable lesson to not mess with me. And so all of a sudden what you have is a world where there's constant escalation. I mean, think about this for a minute. If that worked, we've been doing it for a long time, right? Humans have, have sought revenge over and over and over again for centuries, for, for millennium. Whether you're talking about individuals or groups or countries, like, like revenge is a, is a pretty common part of, of the human experience. How come we haven't solved the problem of hatred and violence yet? How come revenge hasn't worked? It's because it doesn't work. And we have this, this intuition that it will. And Jesus is saying over and over again, it doesn't. Over and over again, revenge just takes things further. So you can either multiply the amount of evil that's in the world by always responding to, to evil in like manner, or 
you can just let evil die with you and not let it go an inch further. That's what Jesus is calling his disciples to do. And that's what Jesus is actually going to do in in his own life. He's not just um, an armchair philosopher who says these things and then goes out and lives differently. What you'll see throughout the Gospel of Matthew is that every one of the examples that Jesus gives here, he has the ability to respond to people who do that to him. People do slap him in the face. People do take his clothes. People do take him to court. Every one of the examples he gives as he's leading up to the cross, he experiences these things. And he could respond in like manner. In fact, he could respond far greater than anyone else. Look with me at Matthew chapter 26. I want to read a couple of verses that I think very intentionally uh, call the reader's mind back to what Jesus is saying here about revenge. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 51, Jesus is in the garden and a bunch of uh, chief priests and the elders, the, 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 the soldiers, they all come out to him. And they are carrying, in verse 47, swords and clubs. All right, so Lex Talionis, they have swords. I'm going to grab my sword, right? If they're going to try to harm him, I'm going to try to harm them back. And that's what Peter begins to think. Uh, I think he's unnamed right here. But uh, we find out from the Gospel of John, this is Peter. But if you look at verse 51, when they come and they seize Jesus, it says, And behold... One of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword, and he struck the slave and the high priest, and he cut the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. So Peter reaches for the sword, and he's about to get violent. And he does get violent. In verse 52, Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword will perish by the sword. That's what happens when Lex Talionis is taken to its logical conclusion. You killed me, I killed you, everyone dies. You pull out your sword, I pull out my sword, everyone gets wounded. It doesn't solve the problem, it just expounds it and pushes it further. And so what Jesus then asks the question in verse 53, Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father, and he will at once... Put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. He's like, I have armies of angelic warriors at my disposal. How I can have in an instant to wipe out every single person who's doing this. I can solve this problem if that's the method of of, uh, problem solving we want to use. But Jesus and his kingdom is presenting a very different idea. And so do you know what happens? Remember when Jesus talks about uh, the person who sues you? for your cloak, uh, coat, give him your cloak also. Jesus is about to be taken to court illegally, unfairly for crimes he did not commit and he's going to be lied about. Uh, you see that happen in verse 57. Those who had seized Jesus led him away to Caiaphas and the high priest uh, and the scribes and the elders were gathered together. And so he is brought to a court to face the high priest. He's also going to be brought uh, to face Pilate. Jesus, in multiple instances, is going to be lied about and is going to be brought to court, and yet he doesn't respond by calling on that legion of angels. In fact, Jesus is going to be slapped in the face. When you look at verse 67 of of chapter 26, it says, Then they spat in his face and beat him with their fists, and they slapped him and said, Prophesy, you Christ, who is the one who hit you? So they're mocking and slapping him, and what does he do? Does he respond by slapping? Does he respond by calling upon? No. In fact, as you keep reading, what you'll see is uh, his, uh, his, he's going to be forced in chapter 27 and verse 31. These are by the Roman soldiers now. 
It says, after they had mocked him, they put a scarlet robe, uh, they took the scarlet robe off of him, and they put his own garments back on him, and they led him away to crucify him. They're making Jesus march to his own death here. Remember when Jesus says, when they force you to go one mile, go two? That, that's imagery of a soldier uh, who comes in. You know, remember Israel was occupied by Rome at this time. And a soldier could come in and they could take someone and force them to go march carrying their bags for up to one mile. And what Jesus is saying, instead of getting up and grumbling and hating that soldier and rejecting it and possibly getting in trouble, or going and, and being disgruntled for that one mile and dropping them right there and saying, all right, now carry your own bags. I'm going back home. Jesus says, show them more love than they've ever seen before and actually go with them two miles. Well, right here, Jesus is having to do a very similar thing where he's actually being forced to go and march by Roman soldiers, only he's marching to his own death. And Jesus does what he is told. And then you get to chapter 27 and verse uh, 35. When it it says, you know, they take your your coat, give him your cloak also. He says, And when they had uh, crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. So the the point is, whether it's being forced to march, being taken to court, having your possessions taken, or being slapped in the face, Jesus experienced every single one of those. Instead of responding by calling on the legions of angels, he faithfully glorified God by going to the cross. And he demonstrated to the world a love that has changed the world from that point forward. A love that is why we are still here worshiping him today. He showed us a different way. That's different than what most people have done. So many heroes have died by fighting their enemies. Jesus died while loving his enemies. And it's a drastically different message. And it's one that he wants to be embodied in his kingdom. Because you know what? There is enough violence and hatred and revenge in this world. There's enough retaliation. There's enough vengeance. Wouldn't it be nice if a kingdom of believers on every, uh, across every nation demonstrated to the world a different way to live? A way to live that wasn't defined by always trying to seek revenge or get back at people who have wronged us. You have that everywhere. But when the followers of Jesus decide to live like him, then all of a sudden a light begins to grow in a kingdom of darkness. All of a sudden uh, you begin to see a city on a hill that looks different than all the other cities. Rome isn't going to act like this. Nations and kingdoms and countries are not going to act like this. But the kingdom of Jesus is called to. And you might see it and you might say, well, that's all wonderful, fanciful, uh, pie-in-the-sky thinking, but the reality is it won't work. Reality is, oppressors will take advantage of that, and they'll become greater oppressors. And I'll say, maybe. There, there are times, certainly, that it does work. There are times, certainly, when enemies have been turned into friends because instead of retaliating, love was shown. But I'll also say this. The goal of the Sermon on the Mount, as you read through it, is not always or only for things to work. A lot of the things Jesus says, they might not work all that well. Um, in, in your daily life. You might be mistreated and you respond with love or kindness and the person might mistreat you again. The goal is not that it will always bring about the greatest outcome or the repentance even of the other person. Hopefully, but that's not really what Jesus is trying to get us to do. 
If you read the logic of the Sermon on the Mount, the goal is to glorify God by living like him. God is a God who, among evil and good men, he gives them both rain and sunshine. That's the example Jesus is going to give here in just a little bit. God's love is for everyone. And we are called upon to embody that love and show it to the world. And when you do that, you might look different. You might be salt of the earth. You might actually be a light of the world. You might actually be a city that's set on a hill. You might change lives. You might not. You might uh, end up uh, uh, showing people a better way, and then they, they change their way, and they become faithful followers of Jesus also. Or you might end up being led to the cross. That's what happened with Jesus. Jesus actually kind of had both responses. He had some people who did take advantage, and Jesus was led to the cross. But you also have other people whose lives were changed forever because he took these words seriously. And we're called to do the difficult job of being strong enough to respond to hatred with love, to show the goodness of God rather than the retaliation of the world around us. Because think about it for a moment. If I get slapped on the face and then I turn around and I slap someone right back, who is dictating my actions and my, my, my manners and my, uh, my, who I am in that moment? It's no longer God. It's the evil person who just hit me. And now I'm imitating that person. And now I have become that person. And what Jesus is saying is don't let the world turn you into the world. Don't let your enemies turn you into their enemies. Don't let the people who wrong you turn you into someone who wrongs them back. But instead, let God be who guides you, whether they slap you in the face or not. You're going to respond to love with love to everyone. And I think that's the... That's the, the reasoning that Paul uses at the end of Romans chapter 12. And we're going to end the lesson by reading through this verse. I think it's one of the most beautifully written uh, passages that ties in so heavily to what Jesus was saying. It's in Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 9 through the end of the chapter. And I want us to try to take this with us uh, as we consider how to live in a world full of hatred and violence and revenge. How can we shine as lights in a world like that? I think Paul gives us some pretty good uh, language on how to do it. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. It's like, you, you can hate evil. In fact, evil, our goal isn't uh, to, uh, to let evil win. Our goal is actually, by responding this way, to overcome evil. But there's a way that we do it that's not by multiplying evil. He's going to tell us how to overcome evil here in just a little bit. But he says, abhor evil and try to overcome it. But you're going to overcome it with something other than evil. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. That's a beautiful description of the way that believers treat one another. When you get to verse 14, he's going to talk about some of the way that believers treat those who are not fellow believers, like persecutors. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Well, that's, that's the way of Jesus. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in spirit, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And then note verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what's right in the sight of all men. If you receive evil, you can repay it. 
But don't repay it with evil. Repay it with something else. You can abhor evil. Evil, that word is used a good number of times in this section. You can abhor evil and want it gone. You can try to overcome evil. That's right, you can. But he's going to tell us what method to use to overcome evil. He says in verse 18, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Meaning, if there is a lack of peace between you and someone else, that should not be because you are withholding the offer. You are the one who is always extending peace. You are the one who is always uh, ready to bless even your persecutor and to give up that, that desire to respond to evil with evil. He says in verse 19, never take your own revenge. That's, that's what Jesus is getting at. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. As it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay The idea here, and this one cannot be done without an extensive level of trust in God. It's the idea that vengeance, it's a natural feeling that we all have, and it's because there's a place for it. There there is a place for vengeance, but it's not ours to determine and to to, to deliver. Vengeance is something that we trust God to do on our behalf. Because God is the perfect judge, and God is the one who can perfectly respond to make things right. Living in this way is not a way of saying, so evil people get to do whatever they want with no consequences. No, it's actually a way of saying, I trust God to deliver those consequences better than me. I believe that God can be a more faithful judge than I can. So I will demonstrate his love I will demonstrate uh, his goodness. I will show forgiveness. I will respond to hatred with love and to evil with good. And when that does not work, I am going to continue to live faithfully, and I'm going to leave it to God to take care of the rest. He says, so what do you do in verse 20? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Uh, That's an expression that we could get into, but basically I I think the idea of that is by showing someone love and by showing someone service, even when they are your enemy, you're going to put within them that potential burning desire to change their their ways and to to recognize that uh, that they they could have a a call to, to serve in response as well. But then verse 21 and this is, I think, a summary of the whole thing. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When you receive evil and you respond with evil, then evil wins. That's how you're overcome with evil. When you receive evil and you hate that evil and you pay evil back to someone else, then evil wins. Don't let evil win. You have something more powerful than evil. You have the goodness of God. Use that as your response. You have something more powerful than hatred. You do. And we might not always believe this, but as followers of Jesus, we need to start trusting that love is more powerful than hatred, even for your enemies. If you want to change, you hating your enemy doesn't contribute anything positive to anything. The world's not better because you hate your enemy. Your enemy's not better because you hate your enemy. And you're not better because you hate your enemy. But love is something that actually can transform the world. And it has in many ways. Let that continue in your own life. That's what Jesus is calling us to do. It's not easy. It will not be our natural inclination. 
but our natural inclinations and what's easy is not what motivates us as disciples of Jesus. It's his life and his teaching and his actions. Ultimately, it's the cross. And so let's pick up our crosses and follow Jesus in love, no matter what our enemies do to us. We are not going to let them, they are not going to mold us into their own image. We're going to continue to live in the image of God. And if there's anyone here this morning who uh, would like the prayers of the church or would like to become a Christian or would like to overcome the evil that has been in their life with the goodness that Jesus offers you through forgiveness and salvation, please let that be known and come sit on the front row while we stand and as we sing.